Welcome TTV community. I am Bob Demena, and here with me, as always, is the very polished Elliot Shibley. Oh, thank you, Bob. So instead of going through our partners and our affiliates and all our merch and all that crap, we would rather bring you a little bit of an announcement and tell you that we have decided to restructure our episodes a little bit. So instead of bringing you travel stories, interviews with guests for every single episode, every, at the start of every month, Bob and I are going to do a more personalized episode where we bring you current travel-related news, any major changes in airlines or accommodation companies, or just cool info on conservation, environmentalism, or adventure stories that we pick up while we're reading through our news articles and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I'm so excited for this. It's going to give Elliot and I an opportunity um, to get a little bit more personal with you, our fans. Uh, each episode will be released the, the first Sunday of each month. Did you already say that? You might have already said that. Um, anyway, so the the episodes will end up providing you with personalized travel tips and tricks, personal information on various countries that Elliot and I uh, would like to provide you with. Um, and we're going to spend some of the time answering fan submitted questions anything submitted by you the travelers blueprint community we will we will sit down and discuss openly um it's a good opportunity for us to just connect uh better than we think we have at this point a lot of our episodes have revolved around our guests and and understanding their stories but we really want to uh put a little twist on things and we're both actually really looking forward to how it's going to play out and hopefully uh you enjoy it too we're actually also going to probably end each episode with like a sneak peek maybe of uh, the guests that we have lined up for the remainder of the month. We'll give you we'll give you just a little bit of information on who you can expect to see on the podcast. Our guest today is the creator and designer of Kiki and Tembo, which are two adorable stuffed animal elephants. And when individuals purchase these, 100% of the proceeds from these gifts go towards fighting the poaching crisis and also provide care to injured, orphaned, and abused elephants. So in this episode, we discuss the elephant project, elephant protection, and go into a bit of the debate on trophy hunting and the cruelty that preludes you riding an elephant in Thailand or any other country for that matter. So please welcome Christina McKean. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Christina, welcome to the show. We're really excited to talk to you today. Thank you for having me. So I came across your profile on Instagram. I was going down like a, a wormhole of like National Geographic animal pictures and then conservation pictures and then ultimately came across your page, um, the Elephant Project Official. And so you mm -hmm. sell you sell different items, and elef all elephant-related and 100% of your proceeds go to support organizations that care for orphaned, injured, or abused elephants globally. And I really love yeah. that. And so I ended up buying Kiki, which was this, I, I, and I received it if, if, uh, very shortly after, but it's like this really high quality stuffed elephant in a, in an awesome pink dress. And then I plan on giving to my daughter one day. She's a little young now, but, uh, so I'm going to yeah. hold on to it awesome. for her. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thank you. so that, yeah, yeah. So that being said, I guess let's just, jump into it and um do you mind just starting off by explaining what the elephant project is yeah um well i've always been a big animal advocate and really when i went to thailand about 20 years ago and saw a baby elephant in the street that had obviously been taken from its mother and 
you could go up to the elephant. Um, you could, you know, pay money to have a picture with it or, you know, whatever you wanted to do. Um, I was, I was so bothered by it that it kind of ruined my whole trip. Um, and so when I came back to the United States, I was trying to find groups that maybe were helping the elephants there. And it was actually before social media. So there wasn't really anything out there. Um, I went on to become a designer for the Gap and I did product development design and, you know, it was really experienced in developing products for tweens was my market. And I decided, um, after protesting the circus and saving a bunch of dogs from all over the world, someone said, you should really do something more. Like you have all this great background. You are in a great community that really cares about animals. You should do something with your talent. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And it didn't really come to me until I have two, um, they're now teenage, but they were younger daughters. And I was like, I should make a product that would help teach children to um, stick up for animals and be- become their advocates. And so I started just designing this little elephant stuffed animal and, you know, had it, I hired all these little women to help me sew it. And then I founded a production company and a factory and all that stuff and thought that, so many people were buying gifts. Why couldn't they buy a gift that actually helped teach, you know, adults and children that there is, um, you can buy a gift that gives back. And then I just started reaching out to all these different organizations. And I really, it became a passion project that just actually be, has become my full-time job because it's just taken off tremendously and I'm super grateful. But um, yeah, I work with organizations in Africa, the Sheltered Wildlife Trust, the Elephant Nature Park in um, Thailand. And the woman who started that is actually a good friend of mine. The Elephant Sanctuary in Tennessee, which takes the elephants that have been abused in circuses or zoos. And then I sort of dispersed the funds globally to elephants in India, which is a huge problem, in Burma. Um, and there, if there's like any specific elephant in need, sometimes I'll, I'll focus the profit towards that. So there's a lot of elephants that need help everywhere, unfortunately. So where are the, what is the natural range of elephants? Where are they, where do they live natively? Well, Africa, um, you know, most mostly in Africa, they're the African elephants. And then there are the elf, the Asian elephants, which are two different species. And the Asian elephants, unfortunately, most of them are in captivity, probably about 80% now. They were used um, for trucking in India and Burma. And then um, since the forests have sort of been depleted, they're, um, you know, trying to find, there, there are a lot of groups that are actually trying to find a place for them and also a sustainable um, place for the people that are, have used them for work. And then the elephants in Thailand are mostly used for elephant rides, which we're starting a, a shift in the industry where people aren't riding them as much and going to um, elephant sanctuaries. Um that are more ethical. So trying to support ethical tourism. For Thailand, doesn't Thailand have a strong like cultural connection with elephants, like dating back like long time ago? What is that connection like? And is that, I don't know, is that healthy with the relationship of the elephants? Or is it something that could be improved upon? That is definitely something that can be approved of it. Um, they've had elephants forever, but they've usually um, used them for work or riding, and um, they're not treated very well, unfortunately, the majority of them. But I think since there was a movie that just came out called Love and Bananas, which actually I had them come to Santa Barbara and had a screening for them. I, um, and I had the woman who started, who was starred in the movie, who's actually from a trucking company in Thailand, and she... Uh, I don't know if, if you're familiar, but in order for you to ride an elephant or to be in a circus or anything, they have to go through this um, crush box. 
where they literally crush their spirit and they take them in a small box and they beat them for 24 hours until they're so, so afraid of humans. And if they are still afraid, they do another 24 hours. And sometimes they don't even survive when they're babies in order to be um, going on elephant rides or performing or any sort of thing like that. So this woman, Leck, who's in the movie, she couldn't handle it. She was like, this is my destiny. I want to do something different. So she started, um, she started all these sanctuaries in Thailand and is really trying to convince the people of, of Thailand that they would probably actually be more profitable if they had um, ethical sanctuaries rather than just where tourists could go and ride them and they were beaten. And I think, you know, it's really highlighted the situation in Thailand and people are now becoming more aware and not wanting to go and support those kind of places and wanting to go see them in their natural habitat. So, yeah, I had no idea that's what it took to actually be able to ride and kind of domesticate them. It's that the brutality is, is just, it's horrific. And there's, there's a movie that's actually become really um, popular called love and bananas. And you can buy it on iTunes. It's only $50 or sorry, 50 minutes. It's only a couple dollars, but it's a beautiful story of Lek, who got um, Time Magazine's Asian Hero of the Year, how she goes and, and rescues a blind elephant and how she has this beautiful sanctuary. And she's so devoted that people like that are really the game changers over in Asia and really making a difference. So I'm really happy to support um, her and all of her efforts and all the people that are really going over there and sort of exposing that industry and making a difference. Because people, you know, they've, they're like have told me, I love elephants. It's on my bucket list um, to ride them. And I'm like, oh, well, actually, if you love them, then you would not ride them because they're so afraid of humans and so beaten that it's just, you know, it's, it's just torture. education. Yeah. It's, and yeah. Wants wow. To be and, of that. So I look at, I look at this example that you just gave us and, um, you know, other, other animal abuse issues throughout Africa. And a lot of times it comes down to the human population needing the funds and for right. and, and a lot of times they they'll do anything they can to i guess get those funds to support their own families and you know having westerners come into these countries and say you know you have to stop it's just not going to cut it it's a, it's just not realistic and so you need right. to find out you need to find a way to supplement those funds and yeah well it, it, the sanctuaries so Africa doesn't most you can't really ride an african elephant um the problem in africa is more, more mainly poaching which is a whole different um, okay. issue because that's like um, a lot of gangs from China and the Middle East are going over there and they're actually selling the ivory in China and that's their biggest market. The problem in Asia is mainly riding them but they're finding now that so many people know about it, they can make as much money where you spend you know, the day, you can actually spend a week at an elephant sanctuary and help bathe them and take care of them and learn and they can charge the exact same amount of money that they would if you were just going for a ride for a couple hours. So it's actually, um, if they understand it, they're flipping the industry, but they're also making the same amount, if not more money, because people are more eager to support them. Um, and they already have the land and the animals. So, um, you know, it's not as much of a loss for them. The people that are losing because of, you know, the population, the elephants are getting into their crops or whatever is such a small portion of the issue. Um, the real issue with the declining elephant are, uh, is the poaching and then the, the widespread um, just elephant abuse. So so for sanctuaries, the relationship that humans have, you mentioned that elephants are very afraid of humans, but in that atmosphere where humans are not necessarily riding them, but just assisting, right. doing that kind of thing, um, how do the elephants fare in that condition? 
Well, they're actually not afraid of, they're not afraid naturally of humans, but they're, they make them afraid by beating them so badly. And, um, that's how they get them to, in the, in to the break crush them. box. But just in a natural situation, they're not going to, you know, they're not afraid of people by nature. It's not like they're, you know, want to attack or eat, um, some, you know, a human, but it's, that's the crush box is, is what makes them, they try to make them afraid of people. Okay. Okay. I understand the difference now. Yeah. And, and so switching gears to Africa and, and the poaching and the ivory trade, I I don't know if you have the answer to this, but why, why are the Chinese still so interested in ivory? What is it about this that they find so important to, to sell and receive and uh, retrieve from these animals? Well, a lot of like the, um, ivory also has medicinal purposes. Um, so like the, also the rhino horn, um, they use it a lot for medicine, but in a, a lot of it too is I actually don't even know if they realize how horrid it is and what the process is of having it like back, you know, whatever, 50 years ago, it was like a status thing to have like an ivory necklace or lamp or whatever. Um, you know, China, I've worked actually with some groups there because they don't have social media. So they're not seeing, they're not being infiltrated with all these like bad things and all these elephants are dying. So in one way, I'm like, I just not sure if they really realize that, that the gravity of the issue, but also, um, you know, they, because it's still like the commodity to have it, they're, they get paid a lot. So it's an incentive for these poachers to go over in gangs. I mean, they have such um, great aerial surveillance now, and they're really, you know, trying to crack down on all these poachers, but it's getting a little better with all the awareness, but that's still an issue. I mean, in Africa, the, the elephants are still really wild. You wouldn't go and ride them or do anything like that. But, um, you know, they still are, are also sold off into zoos, you know, which is also yeah. a problem, the baby elephants. So. There are more aggressive species, correct, than the Asian elephant? Or is that a misconception? Yeah. They are. Okay. Well, not aggressive. They're just, they're, um, the Asian elephants are much more docile, you know, um, a little bit smaller. So they're easier to ride and um, probably have, yeah. So I came across an article maybe in the last week or so about uh, elephant poaching in Mozambique's Nyasa Reserve. And uh-huh. I think this article came out maybe end of June. And in the last year, from May 2018 to May 2019, there was not a single elephant that died from poaching due to their right. preservation efforts and their yeah. national, like they have, they actually have a national park, like police right. force. And they also have an elite rapid response team, which I was reading through the article. They actually, if you're found with a gun in the national park, they can give you a sentence well i don't know if that's if they can shoot you but they can give you 16 years in prison if just caught with the gun for intent of illegally poaching yeah i mean it's amazing i mean just in the recent years and you know a lot of celebrity support too but um there's everyone has highlighting on on the major issue so a lot of these groups i actually met with um a couple women who started this group they were um basically undercover spies for um, illegal arson that was coming into into the United States and realized at the same time a lot of ivory was coming. And so they um, they ended up like finding all these different links between all these different gangs and arson and ivory. But um, people are, are, they're, they're getting a lot more funds to help fight these poachers that they've really never had before. And it's been, I think it's really helping a lot, making it a, a significant difference for them. But, um, you know, it's still a long way to go. Yeah. Well, especially since, I mean, eight years ago, 
the Nyasa Reserve had 12,000 wild elephants. And then back in, I think, 2018, there were, or 2017, it went, it dropped to 3,600. And now it's back up to 4,000. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, they procreate. It's, it's you know, one elephant. I mean, it, it takes a long time to increase the population. So, you know, um, there are a lot of organizations going over there and helping in Africa with the surveillance, you know, but then you have a lot of presidents who will, um, in Africa, who will open up their country to, you know, trophy hunting or, you know, all these horrible things. So, yeah. Well, what is your, what is your stance on trophy hunting? Cause I know there are two sides of it between a, you're killing the animal, but then on the other side, it's culling the herd. And some of those fees for trophy hunting are maybe 50 to a hundred thousand that goes towards the park and maintaining the rest of it. I just, I don't agree with it at all. I mean, they say that, but I think a lot of these countries are also really corrupt. And I feel like, um, I don't know, going over there and killing an endangered species is kind of wrong <laughs> to me. I mean, I'm not really for killing in general. So I don't really believe that, like, come home with a lion head for your wall um, that you paid $100,000 for seems really just ridiculous to me, to be honest. But Yeah, I don't understand the mentality of someone who who has the urge to go and shoot a lion or, or a giraffe or anything. I just don't understand it. Um, I know it's like a hot topic in this country, but yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I'll ever understand why people would do that. I don't, yeah, it's not don't. something that ever interests me, but like CC the lion, that was the dentist that killed CC yes, three so or four years ago. That. Yeah. And then I think last year, two years ago, um, Hunter in Texas killed this really iconic giraffe. And I forget where it was, but after reading through and sifting through some of the articles about it, it turns out that the giraffe was an old, old bull that wasn't really helping the population anymore and is actually kind of interfering with the mating of the younger, right. healthy population. Right. Yeah. I saw that same article and that's how they tried to justify it. You know, this old bull was interfering with the mating of these younger giraffes. And it's like, so like, this is how the natural population acts. Like, let it play itself out. You're going to justify this male elef- or male um, giraffe interfering with these younger giraffes as a reason to kill it? Like, I, it, it, it doesn't make sense to me at all. Um, I feel I feel the same. I feel like we've gone past, I don't know, I feel like I'm hoping that our society is, you know, more humane and sophisticated, that we really don't need to go over whatever you use to justify it, to go over and kill an endangered species in their land, in their country, to spend every... De- I mean, if you want to help them, just if you really have an extra $100,000, just donate it to a group that is doing, you know, work over there to help conserve them rather than going over there and killing them. That's just, I don't know. And take a picture. Why do you need a dead animal's head on your wall anyway? Like what freak wants that on their wall? That's so weird to me. Why do you want an animal carcass hanging on your wall? I don't understand it. I, you'll never, there'll never be an argument that will make me convinced that that's a good idea. So, so, so Christina, I used to have this, um, like grim outlook on life where I looked at the planet and watched it develop and just thought to myself that eventually we're just going to pave over everything, that it's going to be cities on top of cities. And we're going to start building up to the sky and there will be no green space left on the planet. And I, I've, thought that until recently and now with social media and you see these movements like yours springing up and and kind of fighting for land and fighting for animals and it it to me still 
I don't know. It's almost like watching a battle between good and evil. And it's hard to say who's going to win because there's such a strong backing behind development and the 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 uh, financial gain for the institutions that are very wealthy and strongly backed and, you know, their progress and then the push between people who don't typically have the financial backing that are that are the ones fighting to preserve these lands. So still today, obviously, it's it's obvious which side I'm on, but I, I don't know ultimately what's going to happen and who's going to win. Is Africa always going to remain, you know, these this open landscape with these beautiful animals or is industry going to take over? I actually think that all the time where I was it's so depressing when you really think about it. But the good thing, I think, is that I have two teenage daughters and all their friends. And when I have done, you know, brought speakers from different countries um, or done events here, like I thought I'd have a, like 100 people. I end up having like 700 people show up and it's all these kids and they are so motivated. They're the game changers. They want um, reform. They want these animals to be around forever. So it's so inspiring, actually, that I feel like the next generation, like my daughter's generation, the 13, 14, 15, you know, they are so motivated. They're so smart. They want change. They're ready for action. They are there. Um, so that to me is really inspiring because I feel like that generation is going to be the game changers. I mean, you know, even my daughter's friends, they want to help with the plastic situation. You know, they're writing letters unsolicited by me. They're, you know, there's a whole group at her, at her high school. They're writing letters to the zoo. They're writing letters to, they're at New York times right now, um, doing an internship on like, you know, saving, saving the planet, how, what you can do to make a difference. So when I see that, I'm like, okay, I think there's enough people who don't want to see this happen, who really care and actually are going to do something about it. And so my whole point with studying this is this, this is my talent I can give you are these little elephants. But I also wanted to show my daughters and all, every girl, whomever, boy, whomever, that actually one person can make a difference. And it's been really incredible that I started this. And the momentum of this project has been overwhelming where people have just, you know, celebrities out of the blue or whatever have just been like, I love what you're doing. I totally support you. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't have the idea for this, but I'm hundred percent behind you. And what can we do to help you make a difference? So that to me is really inspiring. And I want people to know that one, your voice actually does make a difference. Even if you don't think it does, one person can make a change. So that's, yeah. I think that's a big lesson. Yeah. With with social media and all its flaws, one thing it does do right is the power of assembly between like like minded people. And yeah, yeah, it's it's, awesome. it's amazing to watch these things unfold. Yeah, and I think you're absolutely right about the next generation. And I think the like my parents grew up as baby boomers, and their parents kind of grew up in the age of using everything, every natural resource possible, and the I won't say they knew they were abusing the environment, but there was abuse of the environment. And right. now we're kind of inheriting that abuse and trying to fix it. And 13, 14 year olds, kids that have were born after the millennium are now, they've known nothing but environmental disaster. Right. And it's, that's that's the world they're trying to fix and grow into. But they're motivated too. 
it's so easy to be reminded of the issues too because you have you know something like Instagram and all it takes is that one click to follow a conservation page or you know a page that monitors pollution and how often do people take out their phone and look at it and if that page is then posting daily the issues that that they're you know they plan on discussing you're you're then getting influenced by that quite often and i mean i just yeah. i just took my trash to the curb and as i'm doing it i had styrofoam and I'm just like, ah, like I, it, it bothers me <laughs> to, to, to even do that now. And, and I'm being influenced and I didn't grow up with this on my mind uh, all the time. Like, you know, your daughter is at, at this preteen years. So that's, it's pretty yeah. amazing. It is, it makes me feel more optimistic than I ever have been before seeing this change, this shift in environmentalism. Yeah, I love it too. I mean, it's, it's really the only choice we have. I feel like there, you can't ignore it. So be part of the change, you know, be part of the movement. So, yeah, yeah. there was an article recently um, through, I think uh, it might have been a New York Times article about how if we just plant millions of trees in the next 10 years, we actually just doing that might be able to offset climate change. Right. Yeah. Uh, whatever it takes. Yeah. Well, why not try? That's the way I, that's, I that's my Well, we have for, to try. Well, yeah. well, some people don't think so. And anytime... Um, I get into an argument about it. I'm just like, you know, worst case scenario, we just make a better, <laughs> better planet right. for our future for for future generations. Like that's worst case scenario. We have <laughs> right. cleaner air and and better water and yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's yeah. all about. I I think too for all of all of these things with elephants with everything, it's really education because you know what I've learned through this is just a lot of people don't know. So just me talking to as many people about it or, you know, talking to you guys and whatever, spreading the word about the issue and what you can do in really small ways. You don't have to be part of some big campaign. You can do things like, you know, just a beach cleanup or not riding elephants and, you know, small changes make a huge difference. Like I, I read somewhere the other day, they said, well, it's just like we can't have straws in California. I'm not sure if it's like that anymore, but and it said something about someone taking a straw and st just one straw said, you know, 40 billion people. So, um, I think it's just, you know, it's, it, it's, it's so easy to give up your straw. You don't, I don't even realize it's gone anymore, but it takes a while, I think, to make Did they ban like straws in California completely? Is yeah. that what happened? Okay. All, yeah. all plastic straws, right? Plastic all plastic straws. straws, but you can't get a straw. I mean, they are, there are paper straws somewhere, but like they literally dissolve. <laughs> like yeah. you take a sip and then you're like, okay, it's Then gone. you're chewing you're on gonna... paper. <laughs> yeah, you're chewing on paper. I was just reading an article. It, I guess it's related. Um, Pepsi it has shifted gears in their marketing campaign. And instead of not only, sh not only moving away towards their main uh, product, Pepsi, they've now created like a sparkling water because they're realizing people are getting healthier and more educated. And not only are people becoming healthier in their in their food options, but they're becoming more environmentally conscious. And so now their new products are rolling out in cans instead of instead of plastic bottles. And right, awesome. I mean, for for Better. a large corporation like that, and that produces how many millions of plastic bottles per year, is now shifting new products to something that's more easily recyclable. It's it's pretty incredible. Right. And yeah. you know, they're the type of corporation that's going to shift that interest industry. And smaller, mm -hmm. smaller corporations will follow. They'll, they'll, they're sort of a trendsetter. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, Another... even here too, you can't have plastic bags anywhere. I don't know if that's like that there, but no, um, like no. And yeah. I'm in New Jersey, which is pretty good, but not not quite not quite on California's level yet. I, yeah. I think the West Coast is usually like 
I don't know, two or three steps ahead in terms of yeah. environmentalism compared to the East Coast. Well, yeah. so, so I work in the environmental field, and we're, we're about a step behind as far as environmental regulations for contaminants. It's, yeah. it's pretty much uh, California and then New Jersey is, is very strict. So maybe yeah. we'll. You guys we'll got to get on the plastic, the plastic fan. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I, I agree. agree. So <laughs> I I'm, agree. I'm, my wife and I, we've been using reusable bags for I don't know four years now. And in terms of trash, we we maybe have half a bag each week. Most of our stuff is either recyclable or all compostable, and right. we just throw it in the garden and use it for the next season. Yeah. Um, but I want to get chickens to you. too. Sorry. Oh Sorry. yeah. Well, I, I I've looked into that. I think we. So I think I. Bob and I have had this conversation because we both looked into chickens for our backyard, and neither of our townships allow them. Uh, I went back and forth with the zoning had department. Them for so long. I want They're them awesome. so bad. So do I. So do I. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so Christine, are you familiar with uh, Animal Vegetable Miracle? No. Barbara Kingsolver. She she wrote a book about making your own garden way, I don't know, early 2000s, not way back in the day, but early enough okay. before like gardening was really, really cool for hip millennials. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she she tried to convince, well, through me reading the book, tried to convince me to have turkeys and chickens and all of these other animals. And now I can't have any of them. And I was so excited. Yeah. Yeah, we've had them, and then the eggs are great. But they're they're actually kind of like pets because, um, you know, we have them as little baby chicks, and my daughters would hold them and, like, put them in their, like, strollers and stroll them down the street and stuff. So then they became, like, our family. We had 12 at, at once. Um, they've kind of, like, got grown old, and some of them got killed accidentally by um, some birds. But, but the <laughs> eggs are so amazing. And we just put all of our old, you know, compost in there. And then the eggs, you just go and pick them up in the morning. And the yolk is bright yellow. It's pretty awesome. So I have heard that if you have chickens in your house, at least one of them will have a horrific death. And it sounds like that was kind of the case. Um, oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we had... That- it, it seems like inevitably no, every single chicken owner. It's actually really sad because... One chicken we had, Francine, and I loved her so much. Actually, I started a blog called I Love My Chicken because I really loved her so much. But um, she, we were all out with our kids, and a hawk came down and, like, literally in front of us, took her. Um, and we were like, what? Where is she going? Oh, my God. It was terrible. And then another um, night, I mean, we have bobcats and um, coyotes and stuff here. But a and every animal takes them and kills them a different way. So, like, the raccoons take them apart. The, you know, like, some of the animals take off their head. It's just, it's terrible. It's wow. actually really gruesome. And it's so likely that they'll die before they're old age. But, yeah. But in the meantime, <laughs> I, I they're know great. I'm a big fan of uh, the Joe Rogan podcast, and he talks about his chickens uh, somewhat often. Um, a, a lot actually, and he's had issues with coyotes coming in and killing them. Um, but he, yeah. he always talks about how ferocious they can be. Like they're these little, you know, dinosaurs. He always jokes that if they were the size of, you know, like a dog, <laughs> they would try to kill us. It's, oh, it's yeah. pretty yeah. funny. Well, they're, they're aren't actually they good, like rodent control too. I would the assume so. Chickens yeah. or the coyotes? The chickens. <laughs> like I've known, I've seen a few videos of chickens actually chasing and catching mice. That a cat is also trying to chase and catch. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh, I don't know about that. You just have to make sure you have a 20% chance of your chicken being a rooster. And their roosters are so mean. 
so you cannot, they're terrible. So um, you just want to make sure you get more hens than yesterday's. Right. They'll go after you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, I'm glad, I'm glad we talked about chickens. We, even though we just went really from elephants <laughs> to environmentalism, you know, plastics and then chickens. Um, chickens. It's all yeah. part so, of one so, big one. <laughs> it is. So let's, do you want to shift back to elephants, Elliot? Yeah. yeah. Well, I wanted to ask. So my... My mom has gotten my wife and I a few a few Christmases now, um, like adopt an elephant, adopt oh, yeah. a tiger, that kind of thing. And it comes with a little stuffed animal. And it's usually through the World Wildlife Fund, something like that. Yeah. And I've always really enjoyed them because I know I've had an opportunity to see elephants in the wild in Africa. And I've always wanted a way to be able to help out and World Wildlife Foundation adoption seems like a good way. And now your option, the elephant project seems like a great way as well. Yeah. So what is your opinion on them? I love them. I mean, I, I'm in support of anyone that's helping any animal. So, um, for me, I just, you know, I saw that they were doing that, but I kind of wanted to create more of like a doll sort of elephant kind of thing and make a whole like line of collectibles, you know, so you can have different sort of, I have, Kiki, which is a girl, and then Tembo, which means elephant in Swahili, is a boy. And so I kind of wanted to do it that way. But, you know, people are like, oh, my gosh, this person did that. And, like, I, that's great. Like, I don't – I want – I mean, if, if you – whatever you support that helps support the, you know, different wildlife. World wildlife is great. Um, yeah. You know, not, they're great. Not to, not to knock world wildlife, but I think Kiki and Tembo are much cuter than theirs. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make it a little bit more personable, you know, not just, like, you know, your average stuffed animal. Like I actually really love the design part of it. Like I, you know, feel like that's my kind of thing. And so that was just kind of a fun thing for me to do. It's like design, like an old, you know, old school doll. I love it. And so, so when I was a a baby, a toddler, my favorite animal was a tiny little elephant that looks like somewhat similar to Tembo. And that's what I grew up with. My mom talked, just used to tell me how much I loved it. We grew up in Philadelphia. And so we would go to the Philadelphia zoo. My parents got, a membership there so we can go as many times as we wanted throughout the year and I was I was obsessed with elephants so we would go and it wasn't you know we we were in the city already so we would go and we would only go to the elephant enclosure and that's it Mm -hmm. we would just sit there all day long not see anything else and then leave and she said that's all I wanted to do all the time and so when I saw your product it reminded me of the doll that I had and so like I'm really excited to give it to my daughter when she's she's 11 months now so she has some time before she understands what it is and everything um but so I guess like so elephants are gone from the Philadelphia Zoo. It was a matter of them not being able to support them financially. Right. And uh, I guess I wanted to sort of ask you about your thoughts on elephant captivity as far as zoos go in the United States specifically. I know I know circuses are a completely different story, um, but zoos. I know a lot of times these they try to um, come off as being part of the conservation effort, and I wanted to get your your take on that. Well, I mean, a, an elephant just by nature um, really would in, in the wild would migrate for 25 to 50 miles per day. Um, and they like to be in a herd, um, you know, the female elephants. So I think putting them in a zoo is so unlike what their natural habitat is. And a lot of the elephants that have been in captivity or born into captivity and in zoos, you know, um, the zoo that the elephant I'm trying to get out of this zoo now um their point is that that's been her whole life, but, you know, because that, and, and, you know, they're regulating her, how happy she is and she likes her people heard or whatever. Um, I mean, it's really never going to take the place of that. Um, so I'm, I'm not 
and the zoos that, you know, I work with a lot of different places on trying to get their, their elephants out. Um, I think a sanctuary if is a much better place for an elephant. You know, it's really unlikely that they're going to have enough land for the elephant to properly roam or um, other elephants to keep in company with. Um, so, you know, I think it's actually, I think zoos at some point will be a thing of the past, to be honest. I think people are really getting educated on, you know, that there aren't that many elephants or tigers and gorillas. And is this really like a natural place for them to be for us to go and while they're in a cage? I think the trend will be towards not having them. And I know, I know now even our zoo in Santa Barbara, they can't get another zoo or they can't get another elephant because their restrictions for getting an elephant have to be a lot larger than what she's at. So I think as each um, zoo sort of becomes new regulations come, I mean, a lot of them just aren't going to be able to, um, you know, support an elephant there. Um, And the regulations are becoming a lot stricter for that reason. So I think a lot of sanctuaries will end up turning, uh, you know, where they can still make a profit where you can go and see the elephant, but they're actually not in some tiny little area. I mean, some are bigger than others, but... So one one question I have is what exactly is is a sanctuary and what do they do for the elephants? So like there's an elephant sanctuary in Tennessee where they have, um, you know, a lot of acres. So the elephants still, since they have for most of their life, have come back to the barn at night. They'll be let, um, they'll be able just to sort of migrate all day with whomever they end up picking. And the elephants, um, the nature park in Thailand also they have a large area, you know, acres and acres where they can kind of go and then they come back at night and they're in like an enclosed sort of barn area just because they still rely, will rely on being fed and, you know, getting care that way. Um, and that's really what the, the sanctuaries provide. And, you know, it depends on where it is. Um, the elephant sanctuary in Tennessee, you can go and it's like a lottery that you can go and see the elephants and help bathe them or not bathe them, but you can, you know, see them and have some interaction with them. The elephant nature park in Thailand, you really go and like bathe them. It's pretty amazing. And, um, that's a lot of, you know, Thailand, they don't have as many restrictions on what you can and can't do. Actually, I don't think they have any. So it's really up to the sanctuary. Um, but just seeing them more in a natural habitat where they are happy and they're not in some tiny enclosed area, you know. Where yeah. they can't I, was, I was listening to a podcast recently that was talking about animal conservation and animal rights, and they made this claim that, you know, they were, they basically said that there's going to be a point in our future where, where humans look back on this era of zoos and animal captivity as it essentially being animal slavery to a degree, you know, that's, right. we're just going there and we're paying and we're watching these animals in cages and making them work for us. It's so horrible. Um, and I, there's a story. I don't know. Are you familiar with the walrus whisperer? I have um, heard about that, but I, yeah, I, I don't so, know that much about it. So, so you might be able to draw inspiration from him. He is a he's a guy. I don't even, I, I don't know his real name. Um, I follow him on Instagram, and he's a guy that used to work for this aquarium called Marineland in in Canada. And so he was he was an employee, and he handled the walruses there. And he started to realize how horrible these walruses were being treated, how they didn't handle captivity well, how they were miserable, essentially just miserable and dying because of it. And so he started to to fight back against the corporation. And of course, they he had to leave. He couldn't be employed there and hate their practices. And so he started to fight for 
the release of these walruses. And there was huge backlash by this company, Marineland, um, yeah. who obviously has a ton of money. And this is this has been going on for years. And they're they're fighting him, and he wants the animals to be released. And um, he's spending a ton of his own personal money to fight. And now finally, like earlier this month, his his voice is finally heard, and Canada has now banned the captivity of uh, all marine mammals and wow. and dolphin, yeah, including dolphins and and orcas, and yeah. So I mean, that's it's inc- that's incredible progress. That's huge. Hopefully, the United States adopts something like that in the future. But yeah, you should look into his story a little more. It's it's incredible. I've been following well, along for maybe a year now. I mean, even the the to be honest, like I used to protest the circus, and I never thought in my lifetime that the Ringling Brothers would ever be dissolved and they were not nice to the people protesting let me just tell you it was a scary actually experience but um but i thought you know this is this is going to be forever and when they you know went out of business and they're not doing that anymore i was like i can't i can't believe it so i do think there's progress and i think people just keep pushing as much as you can for the rights of you know animals and i really do think you know we'll we'll come around especially with the next generation i don't think they're going to have it yeah. I think they're not into it. Well, yeah, it, it I, all I, starts with it all starts with an individual at times because I mean, even the movie The Blackfish that came out five years ago now about orca captivity in SeaWorld, I mean, that changed a lot of minds, and that didn't start. That was that was a movement that was the culmination of many years of protests, and it. And you know, the the girl, one of my friends, knows the woman who. Um, who did Blackfish, and she was not intending at first to make it um, about, you know, releasing the orcas from SeaWorld. It was more about the trainer-orca relationship. And then, you know, when she started really getting into it, she's like, oh, my God, this is, like, not okay. So that's another example I tell, you know, the kids that really want to know. I'm like, that's one person. And this woman in Thailand that's flipping the industry of riding elephants to not, that's just one woman from the pork really poor neighborhoods. So I'm like, we can all make a difference. You just have to sort of put yourself out there a little bit. And I think people are really receptive to it. So, yeah. so that is a great transition because you've obviously been able to do a lot and you've kind of devoted a lot of your time to helping elephants and move them out of zoos into sanctuaries, bring attention to it and awareness. What can like Bob and myself do who aren't necessarily able to devote a lot of time, but we want to help in some way, what can we do? I think it's just really telling, you know, helping, um, helping spread the word, like do not write elephants. You know, if you're going to get a gift, like do the world, you know, do get a gift that gives back, help support like the people that are actually doing, you know, the work trying to, um, to stop poaching or stop, you know, elephant rides, like don't support the zoo, if you, you know, Stuff like that, like don't go on an elephant ride. And a lot of issues too, which I, people you know, brought to my attention too, like going on trips and doing a picture with like a tiger or a, you know, an animal. Those, they're all like drugged to do that. Like, so I think if we don't support that stuff, it's not going to happen. It's happening because there's an industry for it. So a lot of people don't know. So the more you talk about it, the more you get it out, the more you tell you people, you know, don't do that. Or if they are doing it, I've actually been in an elevator. <laughs> Uh, by LAX the other day and this girl said oh I can't wait we're going to Thailand and we're going to ride an elephant and I was like why are you doing that and then I ended up talking to her for a while she's like oh I had no idea I was like okay well at least I just helped one elephant you know like at least just people a lot of times don't know and I really don't I want to th- hope that people don't really want to try and hurt animals so if we can just educate them on what's going on I think that's 
that's how everyone can make a little difference that makes a little difference that makes a huge difference. Yeah. So how Bob purchased Kiki for his daughter, um, when someone purchases one of your elephants, uh, what does that do towards going to help elephants? So, um, well, it depends, you know, I, I, I disperse the funds. And so the David Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in, it's actually the Sheldrick Wildlife Trust in Kenya now, that they have a bunch of orphan elephants that they actually rescue that if their parents have been poached or they're by themselves. So they're amazing. They've been around forever. So that goes, um, the money I send to them goes for their care. The Elephant Nature Park in Thailand, they actually are rescuing older elephants that have been in trekking companies. So that money goes towards um, towards Lek Tyler, who's a woman who owns it, and her foundation. And that, you know, I helped rescue a, a blind elephant um, last year that had been, you know, now really great because you could just see their progress, too, on social media, which is awesome. Um, and then a lot of it goes for, like, care um, of different elephants. And sometimes I'll do a campaign to really help, um, like, a specific elephant be rescued from a zoo or something. So it's all, it all goes towards rescue and care of, you know, depending where they are, of either orphaned elephants or the older elephants that have just had a life of abuse, really. Yeah. If you're listening to this, I, I highly recommend buying a Kiki or Tembo. Thank you. I'm actually, so after I purchased Kiki, I'm now thinking, you know, if I ever get the idea, you know, I want to buy my daughter a stuffed giraffe or a stuffed lion, I can just hop on Google and it takes two minutes and, and I could probably find an organization that offers a stuffed animal that my funds will then go directly to helping that, that species. And it feels good. It feels good to make, you know, I'm just going to make that purchase anyway. And now I'm, I'm essentially donating to a cause that I firmly believe in. And so that's, I, that's probably something I'm going to stick with as I buy toys for my daughter <laughs> yeah it's it's all like you know gifts for meaning gifts for good um there's actually a site where i sell my elephants on it and it's called gifts for good and everything on the site is you know like you buy a wallet it goes towards women in kenya or you know a specific village in kenya it's all gifts they give back which i really think and they're beautiful oh, like wow. all the all the things it's it, it's such a great idea and That's... movement and so yeah. Well, and yeah. in the era of people wanting experiences and things to feel better about themselves, of what they're doing, what they're receiving, it seems right. like the ultimate gift. Like, hey, here's a tangible item that you get, but here's also something that you can remember every single day that you see it, that you're helping right. someone else. Right. Exactly. You're making a small, you know, if you're going to buy a gift anyway, why not give a gift that gives back? Yeah. So to to close out, um, I just want to hear what are you most hopeful for for the elephant species moving forward? Oh, I mean, there's so many things. I think, um, you know, I would love to see less poaching, of course. Um, I would love to see the elephant population, um, you know, increase in Africa. I'd love to see people not supporting elephant rides in Thailand. And um, the elephant abuse just in the United States with the circuses and zoos and, you know, whatever. I would love people just to become, you know, more cognizant of what's going on and help be part of the solution. So, Well, you're definitely an part of the solution. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. I, Thank you guys yeah. both for having me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's well, been an hopefully, incredible conversation. Hopefully this will inspire one of our listeners, maybe a few, to take action and do something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, small, st you know, a baby step is a step in the right direction. So, you know, and people are like, it's so overwhelming. And like, you just have to do one small thing. So you don't have to solve the world's problem in one night, but you can do right. small things to help make a big difference. You know, you know, a lot of people, I think, 
in past generations have felt a disconnect to these animals. They'll see a 20 second commercial come on the TV and then never think about it again. But then going right. back to social media now with these younger, with these younger generations, they're, they're getting that dose of reality quite often. Right. And so, yeah, I think we should all be a little hopeful for, for the future of this species, not so. only the species, but, but animals throughout yeah Africa and Asia. Yes. I, I actually just saw a special on a guy who was a lawyer for, um, <clears throat> Uh, for against all the Nazis and, and they were saying, oh, it must have been so hard. And he said, you know what? It was, but you have, and they said, you must have been so discouraged. And he's like, yes, but you have to have courage not to be discouraged. And I was like, that's a good little line. So there you go. <laughs> it's a good way to end it. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thank you both. I'm so appreciative of you guys doing this and, and spreading the word. So super grateful. Thank you. All right, that wraps up our episode for today. And man, I had no idea that they had to literally break an elephant down and torture them in order for us as humans to ride them. It's incredibly sad. Uh, it, it That was hard to hear. And it kind of stuck with me. I ended up going to work the next day and telling coworkers what I had learned. It was really tough. Um, and hopefully Chris, projects like Christina's, um, they end up making it an impact on for the future. Uh, I So by the end of that, though, I was incredibly optimistic hearing the experiences that she's having with her daughters and the outreach uh, that's available now through social media. I feel I feel better about it than I ever did, uh, kind of knowing what I know now and seeing seeing how these conservation efforts are, are taking off. I agree. I, I got a little depressed at the beginning of the episode, but then she kind of lifted my spirits at the end. Well, uh, TTB community, thank you as usual for listening to the podcast. Please take a moment out of your day, rate us on iTunes, drop a few lines. It's much appreciated. And we'll end up reading one on the podcast to thank you. Um, you can follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook. We have a private Facebook group. And um, yeah, shoot us an email if you ever want to talk. Thank you again. 